0: So making sure as you're training yourself, you're still consuming the same amount of calories that you would in your longer fed window, just scrunching them down into a shorter period of time. And really, I think when you start to understand that and you recognize that you can be well-fed in a shorter period of time, you start to see results without changing anything you eat. And that's pretty cool. This is the Made for Living Well podcast hosted by Alexa Sherm. The place to create a life well lived. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Alexa. As always, this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. Now, I know there's a lot of ideas out there in the health space, but I'm really here to help you break it down to understand what works for you based on how your biology works. Now, there's a lot more to health than we even understand, but I don't think it's as complicated as we've made it out to be. And I want to help break it down into the simple approach that you can actually do. Now, today on the show, we're going to talk about a subject that has been a longstanding health topic that has a lot of feedback, some controversy, but really a lot of support behind it, and that is intermittent fasting and fasting. We're going to take a deep look into the science, what the research says, what just real life says about is fasting good, what does the new science say, and how and if you should incorporate it into your life. So we're going to dive into all things fasting today on the podcast, and we're going to talk about it from a metabolic eating approach to every other diet system approach to really just what is going to work for you because that's the most important thing. Does it help support your body or is it working against your body? But before we get to today's show, I wanna remind you there's more information about this podcast, more tips and tricks that you can learn over at thelivingwell.com. More than just show notes, I try to add more information, uh, real life hacks on how to make this work for you. You can find all of that and all the other podcast notes and blog posts over at thelivingwell.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email list, which I know email can become a really congested place and I don't want to take up more space, but I really do want to offer you value every single week when I come to you with a weekly fill, an email dedicated to helping you make progress in your health journey, learn new tips and tricks, and also learn how to support your body. Plus, I throw in some meal plans and some other finds that I really do love that have helped me to become the healthiest version of me possible. You can find that at thelivingwell.com. And also, while I have you, it's the start of a new year, and I just want to remind you that one of the best ways to make this show accessible and findable for other people is to, one, share it with other people. So take a screenshot of the podcast, send it in an email, or post it on social media, and tell others why they should listen to the show. And also, leave a rating and review. You can leave up to a five-star rating over at iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts, but it really does mean the world to me. It helps other people to find the show, and it helps iTunes rank the show. You can leave a five-star rating and a review at thelivingwell.com backslash review or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, for now, let's get right to today's show, and we're going to talk about fasting and intermittent fasting, more so intermittent fasting because I know that there's a lot of science behind it. This has been going on for years, and now there seems to be a little bit more controversy of is this a good thing or is it not a good thing? Which we can say for anything in the health space, just because someone deemed it healthy does not mean it's healthy or right for you. And that's what's tricky about health, I think, is that we want this perfect system, but a perfect system doesn't exist. And honestly, if it did, we would not be in the place that we are today. We would all be healthy and thin and and whatever it is that we're striving for in the health space. So I want to look beyond that today to start to recognize how can you determine for yourself what is right for your body. Now, I do think there's a lot of great framework that can help you to establish healthy patterns in your life and create kind of this foundation that then you can build your own health pattern or health lifestyle off of. Now, like I mentioned, intermittent fasting has been around for a little bit here. It's been around—actually, fasting has been around since the start of creation. It's one of the oldest known health practices, which was really just a religious practice. And what's fascinating to me is that it's not just related to the Christian religion, but every single religion has an aspect of fasting as a part of it. Now, again, I think it shows that deep, meaningful connection to something greater than ourselves— But when it comes to health and what we're specifically talking about today, we're kind of wrap this back up as in how can it help our soul later in the podcast? Because I think that's a really important part that we cannot miss, that fasting was created for a religious practice. It was created almost to create space inside of our lives that we could then surrender to God. There's so many aspects of multiple religions that deal with the aspect of fasting in a means of creating space, of opening up. Um, and I think that's really the gift. It's not just this restriction or deprivation, but it's really setting your life in the right direction and creating that space to open up. Now, when we look at health, that greatly correlates with the health benefits of what fasting offers. It creates space inside of your body to open up. And space is a really, really great thing. In fact, when we look at the research across the board, one of the determining features, regardless of what we see in the weight loss research, because we have to identify that there are multiple types of research done on multiple different um, humans, animals, all different kinds of research. So we can't just say this one study said this, and therefore... That means this, right? We have to dive a little bit deeper and understand who were the research participants? How strict was the study? Is there any sort of adherence outside of that? Of course, we can follow strict protocol when we're getting fed in a research lab or you know, we have all of the tools necessary to meet that. But when real life hits, how practical is that? And we also have to identify, is this study focused on weight loss or is this study focused on health? Now, yes, there is a correlation that if you're at a healthy weight, you're probably healthy, but that's not always the case because sometimes we can get so fixated on weight loss and doing things for weight loss and conducting studies solely based on weight loss that we neglect to understand, is this actually helping someone get healthier or is in the process of losing weight, are there other functions that are downregulating, therefore making you more unhealthy than when you started? And I think that's a piece that we often miss in the health space, right? Is we're so focused on weight loss and I'm not here to say that weight loss isn't healthy. In most cases, in many cases, it is. But weight loss should only be done as a result of getting healthy, not in order to get healthy. Because the two pathways are quite different, similar that you could almost mistake them. But when we really look at the internal workings of our body, they are quite different. So there's a lot of research when it comes to fasting that's been done just looking at weight loss. And there's been a whole host of other research that's been done looking at the health practices or the, the, the health principles or the health outcomes that are achieved from fasting. There have been a lot of research done on rodents and mice and there's been a little bit less research done on humans specifically when we start separating humans into men and women in cycling women and menopausal women. Like I, I want us to see there's so many factors involved when we just look at the research that we're looking at a very small percentage of the population. Now, is research great? Of, of course, right? But like anything, it's not to be worshiped, but to be utilized to create these foundations. And I think there's a lot that we can learn in this foundational approach to health that kind of sets the stage. But what you do with it must and only be determined by how your body's going to respond, by how you feel when you implement such practices. Because there's times and places when you can implement the healthiest things and get bad results. Why? Because it just wasn't right for your body at that particular time. What we need to know is the most critical element of all of health is learning how to support your body, which means listening to it on a daily basis. Because what we know about our bodies is it's constantly changing. And I think this is one of the most fascinating aspects that intermittent fasting brought to the health space was this understanding about how ritual our body is or how it's correlated with our sleep patterns, our circadian clock, and how all of our body is kind of working together in this cyclical harmony meaning nothing is constant, but it's constantly cycling with the 24-hour cycles of the sun and the moon. And for menstrual women, cycling with your menstrual cycle. So we can see all of that actually when we start to dig into intermittent fasting and specifically the benefits of it. But before we get there, I want to talk about the, the controversy. Like anything, All health practices bring a level of controversy because it doesn't work for everyone. Again, this is where you have to listen to your body. And I'm not sitting here saying that, yes, 100% of us should practice intermittent fasting and it should look a certain way. What I am going to help you do is help you to learn that for yourself. What does this look like? So the controversy has started to come into the picture, specifically as it relates to women, specifically cycling, or women who are looking to get pregnant and their fertility. And really what we started to find was when we started to implement intermittent fasting, like most health practices, people took it to the extreme. We started to see research come out about having these shorter windows of fed states. And so people started to cling to that. Now, while it worked for people, which made it seem like everyone should do it, right? Like how easy is it to restrict your food? You can eat whatever you want within that time frame, but restrict your food to a shorter window and have the promises of weight loss. Well, it worked, right? Because if it didn't, we wouldn't keep going back to it. It didn't work. And in some cases made other issues worse for again, a specific set of the population, namely women and menstruating women. And so when I started to dig into this, naturally, I wanted to look at the metabolic eating form of health, which I like most aspects of it. But again, it can be really extreme. And what we see in the metabolic style of health, which I do have an entire uh, like little mini course about, it's a two-hour course, it has a guide, it's totally worth your time, where I try to kind of verge the gap to say, here's a more balanced approach to metabolic eating. But this idea of metabolic eating is is that we really have to work to support a woman's hormone, and that means a woman needs to be, and men, need to be well-fed on high-quality foods and eat for a longer period of time. Some cases, I think people heard that as eat whenever you want, And, and maybe there are some proponents of metabolic eating who are saying that. If you're hungry, you need to eat. That's kind of the mindset behind it. And I'm not here to say that we should ever ignore our body because I'm trying to tell you that you should work with your body. But your body will consistently and constantly signal things in a repetitive pattern even if they're unhealthy. So what do I mean by that? You might feel like you want to eat sugar all the time. We know sugar's not healthy, but if we just simply say, "Well, just give in to your cravings, eat what your body wants." I mean, that's probably not the best advice, right? Because if your body's constantly craving sugar, and I would just say, well, then that must mean you need it, and then you just start to eat it whenever you want, we're going to see negative health benefits to that. So your body is very cyclical in nature, and what created a sense of safety or survival is often the patterns our body is going to repeat, even if they're not the healthiest patterns. It's why, even inside of our brain, why negative people tend to have a hard time seeing positive things, even though we know the positive things are kind of the life process or path that we want to go on. Why? Because understanding and recognizing negative things has kept you alive. It's become your normal. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's healthy. And understanding how to break those patterns means creating a new cycle or a new pattern for your life. That's always gonna come with a level of pain or a level of uh, change, which is going to create some level of resistance inside of your life. Again, it's hard to understand because sometimes choosing healthier options or pushing into the healthier world is going to come with a level of resistance and a level of pain that feels unhealthy to your body. It's always about finding this balance. So when you look at the metabolic style of eating, it really came into the form of saying women aren't eating enough and men in some cases aren't eating enough. Therefore, we need to eat through a longer window of time and eat more food within it. You could wrap that up in the notion to say eat whenever you want, blowing this idea of intermittent fasting out of the water, completely nixing any value from it. Again, there is philosophy behind this that says, yes, in the research, we know that menstruating women and women who are looking to reproduce or get pregnant have the hardest time or see the most negative impacts from a shortened fed window, from fasting too long and eating too little. Outside of that group, we see a lot more benefits, but we do know there's quite a bit of research that shows that you know, menstruating women can have a negative impact on their hormones, slowing their cycle, if not stopping it altogether, and kind of wreaking havoc on their stress cortisol response and therefore all the other hormones in their system. So we do recognize that yes, maybe it's not quite as beneficial for menstruating women and therefore they don't see the health benefits that maybe someone else did but what we've neglected to understand within that process is that's very extreme. We're looking at either a short window of eating or not doing it at all, right? When maybe there's a healthy medium. So when we look at all of this, we have to understand, okay, in the health space, we're people who are really quick to do things in an extreme way. We're either all in or we're all out. When all of health is finding a healthy balance. And that's really what I want you to focus on today is that, yes, intermittent fasting can be detrimental and harmful to a number of people, to everyone, if it's not done in a balanced way. But on the flip side, I think the absence of intermittent fasting can also be very detrimental and hurtful and harmful to the majority of people, if not everyone, because in some way our body still needs space to heal. There is still... In the research, more indication that a period of fasting every single day is critical to the overall health of the body. And I want to teach you why. Because when you can understand the mechanisms of your body and why some of these practices are important, you're more apt to understand and to uh, communicate the safety of that with your body. Instead of looking at fasting as restrictive, is this hurting my hormones? Am I gonna gain weight because of this? Well, this diet told me not to. I wanna put more of a balanced approach on that and to say, you know, we need a little bit of both. We need a fasted state and a fed state every single day. This is just the way nature occurs. And it's the way that we've lived our life since the beginning of creation, right? We have day and we have night. We are awake and we're eating in the day and we're sleeping at night. So naturally during sleep, Everyone is fasting for some period. Now, I know that there are people who wake up at night and eat or drink or feel ravenous and feel like that's the only way that they can go back to sleep. I think those are issues underlying that need to be dealt with. Because at the end of the day, if we're really in a fasted state and we train our bodies for this fasted state, Waking up at night is just a sign that something inside of your life is out of balance, and that's going to be critical to pay attention to what that is so you can regain a sense of balance and sleep all night without waking and without feeling ravenous and like you need to eat or drink something. So yes, going back to metabolic style of eating, there is a lot of thought that you should eat more and as often as you want to. I'm going to push the bounds on that and say, that's a little bit extreme, especially considering the amazing research that has been supported and men and women that have come out about intermittent fasting. Now, do I think a lot of people are doing intermittent fasting completely wrong? Absolutely. And therefore, we're not seeing the health benefits. It's another extreme that's pushing us out of balance and causing more problems, leading us to the other extreme to fall off completely. So today, I just want you to know there's a happy medium for everyone. We all need, as a framework, a period of fasting every day and a period of feeding. How long those are are going to vary kind of based on your biology. And also, if you want to start intermittent fasting because maybe you haven't, then we need to start training our body to do that. But I want to dive in now to the the health benefits or the research supporting intermittent fasting and what they found in the research over the last decade that we've really been doing a lot of research in this. Again, there's research all over the board and yes, there's recent research that came out that showed that regardless of what diet you're on, intermittent fasting does not necessarily have a significant weight loss. But on the other side of that, we've also seen numerous research that has showed, regardless of the diet that you're on, intermittent fasting in the right period of time is and can create weight loss. And I'm really going to land in that camp because what we know about the body and what we know about the state of fasting is that it's critical for repair and healing and energy mechanisms, and therefore it's critical to our overall health. I'm going to come out on a limb and I'm not the only one that states this, but I think the research shows this and numerous other practitioners in the space say this, that when you eat is more important, if not equally as important as what you eat. We cannot neglect or believe that diet changes alone are enough to create the health that we're looking for inside of our body. If we're not eating within a set time frame, that is also an equally as healthy for our body. So, maybe I should just go back and clarify what is intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting is this idea that we eat all of our calories, all of our food within and drinks, you know, anything that has substance within a set window of time every day. And then we fast for the remainder of the day. So, let's say there's been a lot of studies or this idea that there's a magic eight hour window when we should all eat our calories within an eight hour time period throughout the day. And the rest of the day, We're spent at night, we're spent in a fasted state, meaning nothing that could potentially break your fast. So, outside of coffee, tea, water, outside of those things, anything else might potentially break your fast and therefore put you back into the fed state. The two states are very different in regards to how your biology responds. In a fed state, this is this time of, when we're consuming food, this is a time of growth on all accounts. So clearly when you're consuming things, it's building things in your body. For good and for bad, it's a series of growth. This is also why when we look at infants, why they don't practice intermittent fasting is because they're in a period of intense growth. They need to eat more often. But as adults, we could argue that we don't need to eat as often or we don't need a constant period of growth. In fact, having a constant period of growth is not only going to grow muscle and lean tissue, but it's also, and the research shows, that it's going to produce more molecules that might enhance cancer growth. It might enhance fat growth. It's going to enhance a lot of growth in ways that we also don't want to see On the flip side, the fed state is a time of healing and repair where our body actually starts to go to work to break down some of the things that are not healthy for our body to cleanse them out of our system and get rid of what we don't need. So we can recognize that it's critical for both sides of the picture. If we had one without the other, we see negative conditions set inside the body and we see negative consequences based on that. So it's really a balance of both. And this is what we need to understand. It's the balance. Intermittent fasting and a time constraint on the fed state and a fasted state is equally as important. It's really understanding how long should each be. So I'm going to come out again and say, when you eat is just as important, if not more important than what you eat, which means we should not and cannot be eating at all hours of any given day. If we do that, we are gonna be in a constant state of growth and that is going to create conditions inside of the body that lead to more negative consequences. And to our biology, it's always about the conditions inside of our system. How is our body responding? Are we creating positive conditions inside of our body or negative conditions inside of your body. And these are really things that we can feel. Things like, how energized am I? How am I sleeping? What's my libido like? How well can I focus? What is my weight like? Am I at an unhealthy weight? How is my immune system responding? There's all of these aspects in our life that we can link back to the conditions of our body. If our body is having great positive conditions, you probably feel really well. Your skin, your hair, your nails are all going to look healthy. You probably have better thought patterns and more openness and freedom and creativity and curiosity and a higher libido and you're sleeping better. You have better relationships. You're more vibrant and energized. You're more likely to work out, to move your body, to do things that continuously re-nourish your body creating more positive conditions. You can see how quickly and easily the cycle repeats itself. On the flip side, when we see negative conditions happen inside the body, we see a mass decline in energy production, which really just starts to mean that your body stops working together and all the cells start working for themselves. I like to use the analogy like an airplane when you have to put on your oxygen mask. It's like you have to put on your oxygen mask first before you help anyone else. That's the state the cells go to. Survival means saving yourself before you help anyone else. So it's kind of like your body down-regulates completely. Your hormones switch from this abundance, openness, this natural and healthy flow to release more stress hormones, which slow your reproductive hormones. They slow your digestive juices. They change the way melatonin is released, maybe sometimes not at all, because Cortisol is going to deconstruct or prevent melatonin from being released. And so you're kind of in this alert, jittery, stressed, exhausted, overwhelmed, burnout state. And you wonder why you can't get yourself to do anything that you know you should. Well, it's partially because your body's just so overwhelmed that it can't. And one of the best ways to alleviate that is sleep. And that happens best through fasting. So if you haven't caught my drift, I am still a proponent of intermittent fasting. And then the research completely backs this up, especially when we look at the research for health benefits. There are so many health benefits from eliminating food or resting the body for a given amount of time. It's going to increase your digestive processes. It's going to help alleviate gut bacteria. It's going to help your body release melatonin to relax. It's going to help cleanse the body to detox, to energize the body. I mean, so many health processes happen and can only happen in the absence of food. Why? Because when we eat, it takes work and energy and focus for our body to break that down and then mobilize those nutrients. In a fed state, we're doing very different things than we are in a fasted state. In a fed state, we're trying to mobilize energy and we're trying to um, utilize that energy and mobilize those nutrients to be used, to build, to grow. But if we're eating when we're not moving or not active, what we're doing is we're just causing our body to start storing those things and hoarding those things and the energy gets spent trying to build and grow when your body is in a time when it's supposed to be breaking down and slowing down. Not to mention the conditions of the body are really fascinating because when we understand intermittent fasting is more based on the cycles of your circadian clock and actually in support of your circadian clock, we know that your circadian rhythm is critical in the overall functioning of your body. In fact, it's fascinating to me, but researchers have found that over 80% of your genes, which amounts to almost your entire body, is going to shift its functioning based on night and day, based on the cycles of the sun or when you sleep and when you're awake. 80% of your genes are changing based on day and night. It's critical in our functioning. And why does it do this? Because there's specific functions that happen when we're awake and there's specific functions that happen when we're at night. When our body can't determine day and night and it gets all jumbled, you become, again, overwhelmed. The conditions of your body, instead of working in this harmony, start working against each other and you start to see a lot of negative conditions come into play. Does it happen immediately? No, but if you've ever been someone who consumed food late at night, Um, or didn't sleep well, you know the next day your hunger patterns can be really off. These are things you can feel. Like I know that if I didn't sleep well or the kids were up or whatever happened, right? The next day I'm more ravenous and hungry. Why? Because the processes that happen at night never really reset my body and never really re-energize myself. And therefore, in order to find the energy I need to sustain myself throughout the day, My body's gonna signal more cravings and more hunger, and I'm probably gonna be prone to eating more while also being more in a sluggish state. So our cycles or our circadian clock are a huge indicator of the health of our body. And one of the best ways to support our circadian clock is by our eating patterns. Well, first and foremost is light, the light cycles and why it's important to get morning light and slow down or shut your screens off When it becomes nighttime, because light cycles are the number one influencer of your circadian clock. But second is food. Again, we will not release melatonin, which is the hormone that helps us to reach deep REM sleep to kind of shift and transition your genes to signal to them that it's time to go into the fasted state work, which is intense work inside the body of healing and repairing. If though, you have food inside your system, specifically insulin, your body is not going to release the melatonin because as long as insulin and blood sugar is elevated, melatonin is going to be suppressed. So in order to release adequate melatonin and reach deep sleep, you have to slow down your eating or stop eating altogether at a specific point, roughly two to three hours before you really wanna start resting or falling asleep in order for the adequate amounts of melatonin to be released into your system. Can you hack this with taking melatonin? I mean, to some degree, yes. But even that, the active form of melatonin is always going to be suppressed in the presence of food or in the presence of insulin. So you can hack it to a certain degree, but still, your body processes are always going to win out. And plus, you don't want to start adding too much melatonin because it's going to suppress your body's need to make it. So I'm always a fan of making your body do the work that it was designed to do. So there is a time to eat and there is a time to fast, and that should happen every single day. Now, how long your fast is and what that looks like, again, is going to vary person to person and maybe even life cycle to life cycle. But there is another foundation or framework that I really like outside of the idea that yes, we should all have a fed window and all have a fasted window every day. That's big point number one and kind of foundation that we can all sustain or uh, abide by, right? Is that we should all be fasting and eating at a certain period throughout every day. Meaning you probably shouldn't eat at night. And if you are waking up at night hungry, We need to look into that and understand why. What is the mechanism that's causing that and how can that be fixed? But what your fed window looks like or the state in which you should eat food or the time in which you eat food is also really important. And what the Western society of our world has messed up is that we have failed to eat in our most active hours, which is when we should be eating. And this is called circadian fasting. And it's the idea that you're not just intermittent fasting or fasting whenever you feel like you want to or feel like when it's easiest, but you're actually fasting and eating based on your circadian clock. And again, our circadian clock is gonna show a time to sleep, but also it's going to show our most active hours. And when we should eat should be during those most active hours of our day. For the majority of us, that is earlier in the day. So where intermittent fasting has kind of gone astray is that people have found it really easy to fast breakfast, to fast lunch, and to eat when they come home for supper. Problem with that is, is that you're failing to feed your body when it's most active, therefore causing a little bit more stress on your system, specifically if you're a woman, and then you're binging or eating all of your food within a period of time when your body's actually starting to shut down for the day when it's not as active and it doesn't need that food. So it's going to be best to understand that the earlier in the day that you can move your fed window, the better off the majority of us are going to be. Whatever time that is for you when you wake up, that is a time when you should start to consume your food. Now, again, there's some controversy out here that says, you know, you could probably start your fed window at lunch, scratching the morning hours. But if you're a woman, specifically a menstruating woman, it's going to be best to start your fed window earlier in the day, about an hour after you wake up for the day. I think the first hour of waking, still living in a fasted state, is really great to, again, just flush the body of all the things that it worked to detox to start to mobilize your lymphatic fluid, take, take in some water, and really process through that. Eating right away can alter kind of the ability for you to wake up and energize the system. So there's kind of this, um, I think of it like turning your computer on in the morning, right? It's like you don't get to work right away. You don't start inputting anything in until it has time to fully wake up, to go through all of the processes, to really just reboot itself. I want you to think of the first hour of your day as a computer starting. It's the reboot for your day. Just give it a little space to get going, move your body, you know, start waking it up with some water and some movement, but don't just flood it instantly with food. So the first hour is great, but I do think that women specifically, and I do encourage men to eat earlier in the day. I'm not a fan of waiting all day and then eating within this four hour window and binging from that. Partly because the research has shown that there's kind of this eight-hour minimum. Yes, there's benefit from eating all of your food within a four-hour window. But for the majority of us, that window needs to be a little bit longer. There's kind of like this magic period of eight hours, which is really false. It was just based on the way um, the researchers were available to feed their mice. And so they kind of created this magic eight-hour window. For most of us, I think we're going to find benefits somewhere around 10 hours, 8 to 10 hours. Some menstruating women, specifically if you're trying to get pregnant, more like a 12-hour fed window. That's a long time, right? Like We can all consume the majority of our calories within 12 hours, and I think we should. The research shows that we really need 12 hours in a fasted state every night, partially because It doesn't mean when you stop eating at the 12-hour mark, it's going to take a little bit of time for your body to actually get into that fasted state. So when you stop eating, it's not the time your fast starts. It's when your body fully processes through the last meal that you consumed. That can take two or three hours. And so we have to know that if you're eating within a 12-hour window, your fast is more like 10 hours, not 12 and really, that twelve hours is a really great mark. Now, again, it's going to be dependent, and if you're just training yourself, because it's going to take some training to start intermittent fasting the right way in a balanced way, twelve hours is a good mark to hit. And then every kind of every week, you can bump that up thirty minutes until you get more to the ten hour window mark. If you're a male or postmenopausal woman, there's a lot of research to show that that eight hour mark is really beneficial for you. So, kind of bumping your window down, which probably means eating a little bit later in the morning, but again, still stopping earlier in the day. Now, if we get back to why do we need to eat earlier in the day? The reason is, is that your body is most active, your insulin sensitivity is highest, your metabolism is highest, your gut enzymes are at their best as the sun reaches maximum capacity or earlier in the day. So we kind of see this window as the sun's on its way up and at its highest point, that tends to be when your body is at the most active state. We see kind of a plummet in that, in that afternoon, what people would call their afternoon slump, as it's like this curve that goes up steadily throughout the day. You hit the highest point of the sun. Then you kind of have that afternoon suppression. So it starts to fall off. So anywhere from eight to two, for most people, Researchers have found is probably the most active point where your body is most sensitive to insulin, most available to utilize the energy so you don't store it and hoard it and conserve it to mobilize the nutrients. It's going to be best on your gut bacteria because you're releasing maximum amounts of enzymes. Like everything in your body is just working better. Therefore, it's going to be better to eat earlier in the day. Plus, protein synthesis is much higher earlier in the day. In fact, at that first meal after fasting, meaning you're actually going to utilize the protein that you consume, putting it on lean muscle mass, and really helping to maximize your, your body's capacity for metabolically active tissue. So I'm always a proponent that, yes, we should intermittent fast, but we should also be breaking our fast earlier in the day. I think Where we went wrong, again, is just fasting throughout the day while you're working and most active and then kind of binging at night. It's not a great pattern to get into, although we also still have to be realistic that some people can't eat at night until much later, right? Because you wanna eat with your family, you wanna live life. I get all of that. And health has to be realistic or it will never work. There's a whole adherence piece to this that if it's not practical, you won't do it and therefore it's not even worth trying. But with that being said, if there's any way that you can eat earlier in the day or if you're going to fast a meal, I always suggest it being the last one throughout the day that's always gonna be most beneficial to everyone's bodies based on the circadian clock. So going back to circadian fasting, we're always going to metabolize and utilize the food that we're consuming best in our most active state. Now, if you eat later in the night and you wanna start getting into that fasted state earlier, there are some glucose clearing tactics that you can do that are going to help speed up the rate in which you actually achieve that fast. So if you don't do anything, right, like most people, they eat their biggest and their most substantial meal later in the day, and then they just kind of sit, you sit and watch Netflix, you watch a show, you don't do a lot, we just start to slow down. So we're going to see the ability or the rate in which we clear glucose from our body, and therefore the rate in which melatonin is going to be released, is going to take a lot longer. So you need a glucose clearing tactic to help you clear that glucose so that you can reach Fasting quicker. And glucose clearing tactics generally have to do with moving your body, being active. Yeah, there are some medications, some supplements that do this, like metformin, but really that's not practical for the majority of us either or safe long term. I mean, yes, yes. Don't hear me say if you're on metformin, it's not safe. Absolutely is a very long-standing medication, but It's not something that any of us can just take, right? And so glucose clearing tactics are things like going out for a walk after your last meal of the day, doing some movement. Those things can help you to clear glucose, like just getting a little bit active to clear that out of your system before you sit down for the night and start relaxing. But again, I still think it's better just to eat earlier in the day and eat your smallest meal later in the day. So your biggest meal should be first, The first two meals that you eat, if you eat two meals a day, the first two meals a day should be their largest. And definitely by evening time, even if you have, you make your biggest meal in the evening, I do, I just use it for leftovers, that's the meal that you should make your smallest in consumption. That way you can clear through that glucose and enter into that fasted state quicker. So foundation point number two is outside of the fact that I think we should all be in a fed state and a fasted state throughout the day, I think it's best to move your fed window earlier in the day and start your fasted state earlier in the day or eating the majority of your food within the most active parts of your day, which is when the sun is technically going to be at your highest. Now, if you work at night and you sleep during the day, this is obviously flipped for you. It's when you're most active in your job or in your life. That's the time to consume your largest meal. And then again, slowing your food consumption down the closer you get to your sleeping window or the closer you get to the point in which you are going to rest for the rest of the day when you're least active. Now, when it comes to longer, prolonged fasts, yes, those can be really beneficial as well. There's a lot of research coming out that shows 24-hour fasts, three-day fasts, those can be critical and beneficial in clearing the body and breaking down what isn't necessary and cleansing it out of the system. Remember, the state of fasting is breaking down, the state of eating is growth. And so we can see long-term fasts specifically beneficial in things like healing disease and weight loss. But with that said, we need to be a little bit more strategic about when you do prolonged fast and knowing the most critical element of any fast is how you break it. The health benefit is really gonna come in in showing how are you going to break this fast? Because as the body breaks down and detoxifies and as you go through prolonged periods of fasting, what your body needs to assume the safety that it's looking for is plenty of protein, natural carbs, and a little bit of healthy fat. But those protein and natural carbs are gonna be really critical when you break that fast to, again, supply the safety that the fast wasn't just this threat to the system, but that it was actually beneficial and now you're going to refeed on the backside of that. So that's gonna be really important. I'm not gonna get into all the the nitty gritty details about prolonged fast and what that can look like and should you do it. I do have previous podcasts about a prolonged fast. I would say, again, listen to your body, understand what are you looking for in it? Because I think in any fasting, it can't just be for quick weight loss. That's never the purpose of fasting. And again, if we go back to the religious aspect of it, I think fasting has become such a a tool of health and a means to manage or control what you think you can control, as opposed to really what it was designed for. And I think it was to create this space to open up your body, to open up your mind, to really cling to something that feeds you and feeds your soul and nourishes your body more than any food ever could. And when we go back to the religious aspect of it, it is to create that space to cling to something that could really feed you. And it shows That yes, food is critical, but we give it way more power than it deserves or it was intended for. Food is food and nothing more. So fasting helps to kind of strip off the emotional weight and baggage that we carry for it. And it just creates the space for your body to heal. And if you do prolong fast, specifically for religious reasons, don't get so wrapped up in... And the weight loss of it or the health benefits that you missed the practice of it and why it's beneficial and why it's a, a, almost a gift for you to do that, shifting your focus and having the right perspective. So I'm going to wrap up all this podcast with a few more things. One is what breaks your fast and what can you consume when you're in a fasted state and also what this could look like for you. So again, First and foremost, I think that we should all have a fasted window, and I think that window should be 12 hours for the majority of us. Now, of course, there's always exceptions or reasons why that can't be the case. You've got to listen to your body. Not one single health practitioner can tell you exactly what you should be doing. Again, none of us know exactly what your body needs, but you have to start to pay attention. Is this supporting your body? What kind of conditions does this create inside my system based on how I feel? But with that said, it's going to take some training. So let's talk about the training of getting into intermittent fasting because you don't want to overwhelm your body and stress it too much that this becomes a threat. So first and foremost, you need to track how long your fed window is. What time do you first consume something that would break your fast, which is going to be anything outside of water, tea, and maybe black coffee? Artificial sweeteners, there's controversy behind that, but I'm going to assume that because it changes your blood glucose levels, even if it's negative in a hypoglycemic way, we still need to be cautious that that potentially is breaking your fast. Can toothpaste, I mean, maybe if you consume a lot of it, I'm not worried about toothpaste, mouthwash, gum can start releasing enzymes in your stomach and signal and trigger hunger. Like the act of chewing is going to trigger hunger levels in your body to make it think that it's going to be getting food. So that one is a little bit tricky. I say that gum can break your fast in some cases, especially as you're training your body the more in training your body gets to be in the fasted state, the less things that break your fast. Like there's arguably some research that says that in a fasted state with someone who's been trained to fast, eating some peanuts doesn't even break their fast, right? Um, So it's all about training. But initially, as you're getting into the process of this, we want to try and avoid anything that could potentially break your fast. Does Bulletproof Coffee break your fast? I mean, it shouldn't, but we know one gram of glucose will break your fat. So if you're adding any kind of sweetener to it or you touch some kind of sweetener, we know that that can technically break your fast. So Bulletproof Coffee shouldn't. um, Again, toothpaste shouldn't mouthwash shouldn't. But when we get into having a bite of banana, there's a lot of times when people aren't even conscious that they're consuming things like having a sip of wine at the end of the night, again, making your kids lunch. How much are you just kind of nibbling on these little things, not even aware that you're doing it, which is really where most people go wrong with intermittent fasting is a lot of people aren't even aware that they're consuming food because it's not necessarily at a mealtime, but you're just unintentionally and subconsciously consuming things without really being conscious of that. So being aware, when is the first time you break your fast and when is the last time? Take into account if you have a bite of your husband's popcorn at the end of the night, or you have a sip of wine, or you eat a chocolate out of the freezer, those things will break your fast. Once you know how long you've been eating or how long your fed window is, then you can start to say, okay, I've been eating in a 14 hour window. I want to get down to 12 and see if I can notice benefits from it, which you should. I'm going to start by saying, okay, normally I'm at 14. This week, I'm going to go to 13 and a half. I'm going to be conscious of trying to get to 13 or 13 and a half hour fed window. And that just means being conscious of, I'm just going to stop eating at this point at night. Like I'm not going to have the chocolate in the freezer. If I want the chocolate in the freezer, I'm going to do it after supper time. I'm going to do those things not to restrict them, but just move them closer together. Plus, eating dessert after a meal is actually much better for you than eating it outside of a meal. It helps slow your blood glucose spike, all of the things, and really clear it from your system much quicker. So move those things up so that you can smash that window down. Then the next week, get a little bit more strict with it until you get to the point where you feel like you're in the fed window that you want. For menstruating women, I say somewhere around 10 to 12 hour windows, depending where you are in your cycle. When you get closer to your menstrual phase, you're probably going to need to widen that window a little bit. When you're outside of that or after you're done menstruating, you can kind of shorten that down a little bit. If you're menopausal, a man, you really can squeeze that window down anywhere from eight to 10 hours. Some people like that four-hour window. I add more caution to that. Just pay attention to your body because that gets a little bit more difficult in the adherent state of eating as a relational component, which is really still important to our body and to the pleasure systems. Food is still a connection to humans, to earth to religion. And so I think we do need to make sure that this is all practical. So again, training your body. Here's the deal. You can work out in a fasted state. I do actually recommend it um, in many cases. So if you work out earlier in the morning, this might take some training because if you work out at 530 and you're used to having a protein shake or banana, it's not to say that you have to eliminate all of those, but I'm going to tell you that you probably will find better benefit if you can avoid it. Will you feel a little shaky like you're going to pass out? Hopefully not. If that's the case, then you need to stop working out, sit down, hydrate your body, maybe have something to eat. But you might not feel great for a few days in the process of your body switching over to the fasted state. If it's been prone to getting sugar whenever it wants, it will never Work out of the fasted state, which is more a state of using fat for fuel, which is very different than using carbohydrates or sugar from fuel. And it takes a little period of time for your body to switch that. It's like, think of it like if you ever have done any cardio and you hit the wall, and that wall is the period of time in which your body's trying to transition to a different fuel source. And once it transitions to the fuel source, you get what's called the second wind. But there's that leg period in there that's uncomfortable, right? There's going to be an uncomfortable period of time. It should not cause you to have negative prolonged health consequences. And if that's the case, again, be cautious of it. Pay attention to your body. So that might mean slowing down your workouts, doing really low intensity things until you train your body to work out more in that fasted state. If you work out during the day, great. Um that It doesn't matter quite as much for you, but working out after meals can help you clear the glucose of that meal. So again, it's gonna take some training. Your body's probably going to feel hungry whenever you normally eat because of the cycles of it. Your body loves consistency, which also shows that once you start intermittent fasting, it's really important to create consistent patterns in when you consume food, not just necessarily eating willy-nilly or saying, okay, one day I'm gonna um eat my breakfast at 7 a.m. And then on the weekend, I'm going to eat it at 10 or 11. I mean, once in a while, I'm always a fan that your body should be resilient and should be able to um, switch back and forth. But if you're starting out with intermittent fasting, again, you got to create that resiliency by first being consistent in what you do. So even on the weekends, trying to eat at consistent times as often as possible, that's going to retrain your hunger cues, which come into play when you normally eat. So like I see a lot of people who snack or graze all day long and they're like, but I'm always hungry. Yes, but you also have trained your body to do that. Therefore, it's going to release digestive enzymes, which is the sound you're hearing in your stomach is that churning that makes you associate that with thinking you're hungry. Therefore, you're going to eat partially because you've just trained your body that you eat all the time. When you retrain your body, those hunger cues will come out when you consistently eat. Outside of that, you should see them diminish. Now there's always times where that's not the case, but I'm saying that consistency key is going to matter. So setting those meal times and when you're going to consistently eat, that can help your body create that sense of safety. As long as it knows food's not a threat, food doesn't carry the weight or cause quite as much havoc or negative consequences inside the system. Meaning your body's not as likely to store, hoard, and conserve it, and also to crave other foods when you have consistent eating patterns. So trying to build consistent eating patterns within your intermittent fasting window can remind you that you're good. You've got the food coming in that you need. Which brings me to the last point. You should still be eating enough within that window, eating in a smaller window of time does not necessarily mean you eat less. Although what's fascinating about it is is that most people actually do unintentionally eat less, meaning they do it without feeling like they're actually restricting anything, which is pretty cool. And what the whole idea of this is is that you kind of downregulate your need for a lot of calories and you get back into more of a healthy scope because your body's using energy in the right way and it's also healing energy in the right way. So making sure you know that it's not about calorie avoidance. This is strictly just setting time constraints on when you eat those calories. So making sure as you're training yourself, you're still consuming the same amount of calories that you would in your longer fed window just scrunching them down into a shorter period of time. And really, I think when you start to understand that and you recognize that you can be well-fed in a shorter period of time, you start to see results without changing anything you eat, and that's pretty cool. So when it comes to all of the fasting, I know I need to wrap this up. Here's what I want you to know. I think all of us should develop a healthy fasting practice. Fasting across the board and all research has been shown to be beneficial to our health. The weight issue, of course, is kind of controversial, but I really do think that most people who fast will benefit in the weight category as well, whether it's just in maintenance, which is really critical too, but also in weight loss. In fact, there's some really cool research that shows um, that mice who, of course, this is done on mice, right? But mice who are Given the same amount of calories, one group given in a restricted time period versus the group of mice who could eat whenever they wanted, same amount of food, but the mice who ate it within a restricted window lost a significant amount of weight, or the mice who ate the same amount of food whenever they wanted actually gained weight. And this research comes up time and time and time again. So we know that eating whenever you want, even if it's less calories, can actually make you gain weight. While eating more in a restricted window can help you lose weight. When you eat it is going to matter though too. So making sure that you're doing it in your most active state of your day. Consuming the majority of your calories there. And for most people, I think that good healthy window is somewhere around 8 to 10 hours. Um, Again, if you're a cycling woman, maybe upwards of 12 or trying to get pregnant, 12 hour window. Of course, if you're pregnant and nursing, your window is going to be much greater um, because that is a time of growth. When you're trying to help another human grow, therefore, you can kind of eat whenever you're around the clock. So think about that. Am I trying to grow or is this being growing? They don't really have that fed window because fed means growth. But outside of that, which the majority of us, I don't think, are still trying to grow. In that way, grow physically, right? Um, I think we're trying to release, to lighten ourselves up and to feel more vibrant. Then we need to scrunch that window down a little bit more. Of course, everyone has their opinion. And the most important thing always, because there's endless exceptions to this, is that you listen to your body. What are the conditions inside your body? Are they positive or are they negative? Which means, what is showing? How are you living? How do you feel? That's gonna determine or help you understand the conditions inside your body, which is going to determine what you should do. The key is how can you support your body's positive health conditions, therefore creating positive outcomes. And everything you do is either positively affecting your body or negatively affecting your body. And paying attention to creating the balance where you do more things that positively benefit you, because there's always gonna be things that negatively affect you. Doing more of the positive is always going to be the best. And it's always about balance. We have to get off the extremes. I think it's unfair to say that no one should intermittent fast or everyone should. You gotta listen to your body and know that there's a healthy balance within this for every single person. Pay attention to it, play with your body, be your own experiment, and just know that not everything is gonna work, but some things will. Creating patterns of consistency opening up to try new things, seeing things a little bit differently, and knowing there's not one specific plan that's going to work for everyone, but it's understanding these foundational points, like the idea that we all need a period of fasting and a fed state based on our circadian clock, and doing something with that that you can stand on, that you can create some adherence behind, and that you find actual positive benefit from. So don't get too stuck in any one diet, but know there's so much more to the picture of health than just what you eat, like when you eat it. And also we're going to talk later this year about what you're thinking when you eat, because the conditions inside your body change what your body does with the things that you consume. So just like we know, eating at different times changes what your body does with what you consume. Eating a larger meal and even more carbohydrates earlier in the day is going to be broken down, metabolized, and used very differently than the same meal eaten later in the day. So we know that there are foundations to follow. And if we understand those foundations, we can build a pretty healthy life without all of this restriction, deprivation, starvation, and this need to control every single thing that we do. So I hope this creates some health freedom in your life, clears the air. Yes, intermittent fasting is still great for you. The majority of everyone should follow some kind of intermittent fasting window. What that looks like is going to be dependent on you, but make sure it follows your circadian clock. Okay, I hope that's helpful. If you have more questions, especially about circadian fasting, and again, why you should eat earlier in the day, what that changes about your digestive system, your metabolisms, your hormone processes, your reproductive system heading over to The Living Well because I have some really great graphics that I think will help you. Also, a few more research studies that are really fascinating. So again, that's at thelivingwell.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the metabolic eating class. I know I kind of ripped it about the intermittent fasting aspect of it or their lack of intermittent fasting that the majority of metabolic eating proponents dismiss, but inside this class, I kind of bring it together because I think there's so many positive benefits to metabolic eating. And I wanna show you what that is and how you use it to keep your body well-fed and thriving and also to see results in the process of that. That's all at livingwell.com Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a rating review and review. And if you're not following along on Instagram, follow me at made for living. Well, where you get more snippets and clips from the podcast, as well as a lot of other tips that you can use to live your best life. Okay. I will see you back here next week.